questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. War, conquest, famine, and death. Are the four horsemen coming? Over centuries, systems have been certainly modified, manipulated, and even corrupted, often to serve the interest of the few. We have continually accepted these changes, and because man can adjust to living under virtually any conditions, the trade that has enabled us to survive is the very trade that has suppressed us. Most societies have an elite, and elites try to stay in power, and the way they stay in power is not only by controlling the means of production, to be Marxist, i.e. by controlling the money, but by controlling the cognitive map, the way we think and what matters in that respect is not so much what is said in public, but what is left undebated, unsaid. For centuries, gatekeepers have manipulated our cognitive map, but in 1989, a computer scientist by the name of Tim Berners-Lee implemented the first success communication between an HTTP client and server. The World Wide Web was born. It has since unleashed a tsunami of instantly accessible, freely available information, just as Gutenberg's printing press wrestled control of the cognitive map away from an ecclesiastical and royal elite. Today, the internet is beginning to change. Governments, finance, and the media. We are at the cusp of change, but to enact this, we must first understand the things that have been left unsaid for so long. To do that, we need context from people who speak the truth in the face of collective delusion. Because to understand something is to be liberated from it. People are searching for the best food or the best clothes or the best music or the best movie or reality TV show or another magazine. You can never get enough of what you don't need. What we need is a strong moral conviction that is pervasive throughout the society and where integrity reigns. There is a vast apathy, vast amoralism. An empire is a living organism. It lives and it dies. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. And to tell us more, tonight's special guest is David Morgan, a veteran of this program, a precious metals aficionado with degrees in finance and engineering. He originated the Morgan Report, a monthly report that covers economic news, the global economy, 
and to make substantial capital gains by investing in the resource sector. The model portfolio covers top-tier, mid-tier, speculative, and special situations. David considers himself a big-picture macroeconomist whose main job is education, educating people about honest money and the benefits of a sound financial system. As a publisher of The Morgan Report, he has appeared on CNBC, Fox Business, and BNN Canada. He has been interviewed by The Wall Street Journal, Features Magazine, The Gold Report, and numerous other publications. His website is themorganreport.com. And David joins us today once again. Hello, David, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Well, Mel, I'm doing quite well in the circumstances, and thank you for having me. A pleasure. Once again, we spoke last couple of days, and things seem to be evolving or de-evolving. I don't know. That depends on the perspective of the person who's analyzing the data. But why don't you just give us a little bit of a, a summary of what has happened in the past few years and where we seem to be going? Certainly. So over the last few years, uh, the internet, as you mentioned in the intro, has awakened a great deal of people. I mean, there's a vast number of people that are awake and more awakening and then there's a sub there's another sector that basically accepts everything at face value and we'll get into more detail on that unfortunately what's been happening as we all know from anyone that's on the veritas radio program <clears throat> knows that there's been free speech suppression and it's been substantial of late where the free market and the most important part about the free market isn't free market mining, although that's important, the most important is the free market of ideas. Without the free market of ideas, the ability to discuss as rational adult human beings and look at both sides or maybe many vectors of any given question, be it money, be it housing, be it recreation, be it the human experience, it's imperative that everyone has a voice. Some voices are drowned out, but at this point in time, Basically, what I refer to as the alternative media and or the truther movement, you can take it whichever context you wish, have been drowned out substantially. Many of my friends that are in the alt movement are no longer available on Facebook, YouTube, or any of the mainstream well-known sites for social media. They've basically been taken down. One that I've never met that I think has done an excellent job over the years is Stephen Molyneux. I never met him, but I, Stephen Molyneux, excuse me, but I listened to several of his cat podcasts and that had a great deal of influence on many, many people around the globe. Another that's a vector off of Stephen Molyneux is Foster Gamble, who made the movie Thrive. And in the right. movie Thrive, and I know most of the Veritas people know this, but I want to emphasize it because to me, it's the truth and it's important to know. We are, we meaning most people are in a left-right paradigm, especially in the United States, but globally there's political ideologies, whether it's communism, Marxism, fascism, a democracy, a free republic, or voluntarism. It all revolves around a central idea that they all need money to survive, and the elites really don't care what ideology you follow as long as they have control of the money. 
And that's the bare essential. The second point coming back to Foster Gamble in the Thrive movie, movie is he does a pyramid, which he's given me permission to use in some of my lectures. It's easy to do verbally. You don't have to see it. But basically, everyone knows what a pyramid looks like. And at the very, very bottom or the base of the pyramid is us. It's us and the animals, the trees, the ground. It's basically natural human beings and all that goes with it on the planet. And above that is government. It's those that basically rule over us. Again, whether it's a monarchy or a free republic or a so-called democracy, really has little value because above that is the corporate structure. And the corporate structure is self-serving. It serves the corporation. And most large corporations are multifaceted, meaning that they are pervasive throughout the globe. They could care less what political ideology you stand for or what you really believe. All they care about is how much control and profit they make at the expense of the people. And I could go on and on, but I'm going to wrap it up here, Mel. And I'm just going to state that everything has been corrupted, not just the monetary system, but you look at the corporate structure and the food supply has been corrupted. We're fed these packaged food, nonsensical GMO crap that hurts our health. The air we breathe has been sprayed with God only knows strontium, barium, aluminum, and many other harmful chemicals. And this is fact, and I'm sure most people on Veritas Radio certainly understand that. So the air supply has been corrupted. The water supply has been corrupted. The food supply has been corrupted. The moral structure of society has been corrupted. And we're in this infighting on this left-right paradigm when the those at the top are basically laughing at us because they have had such an excellent way as Mel pointed out in the beginning intro of the cognitive map, the way we think. And most of us, not this program, not these listeners, but the vast majority have basically been mind controlled, mind brainwashed and have a understanding that they think they're thinking, but actually they've been programmed through the programming of the great boob tube. You're definitely preaching to the choir here. And, you know, I'm thinking of some of the things you were saying. I'm thinking of what they're spraying above our heads, but they're, you know, these people wear hazmat suits in order to spray in the crops, but we put that in our mouths, uh, poison our water, poison our food. And I, it, it, it's hard for me to just bring all this stuff out because I want to remain positive. I want to just give people tools and we'll do that at the end. But if they really wanted to focus on our health, and save us from the new boogeyman, COVID-19. What about all the stuff that's in our food, our water, our, uh, the 800,000 children? That is the biggest elephant in the room, in my opinion, that are, quote-unquote, lost every single year. But everybody's focusing on this little virus, and I know people have died, but if we have a 99.9% chance of survival, why is it that they're killing the entire world's economy? What is your what is your analysis as to what is really happening behind the scenes when it comes to this virus? Okay, this is going to be opinion, but it's a studied opinion and a, certainly in my own mind, well thought out. So the financial structure was coming down well before the COVID-19 scare. And uh, I do a weekly podcast called The Weekly Perspective because I report news from usually mainstream like Bloomberg and Reuters. There's some alt media there, but a lot of it's just mainstream if you know where to find it. And I'll read the headline and maybe a sentence or two, and then I will 
put my perspective on it. So if you go back and look at those, I'm not suggesting anyone do. I'm just giving you an answer is that we were having a huge contraction in the global economy. Things were getting smaller and smaller, harder to obtain. And we were basically entering the last phase of a financial collapse. And then we got to the point where very few people, unless they study money a lot like I do, we were in this repro market with the with the banks where the Federal Reserve actually had to intervene and keep these banks together because they were ready to default on each other because they would not loan to each other overnight. Think about that. A bank wouldn't loan to another bank for one day. That's how much trust had been broken in the system. So the Fed, which is the banker's bank, the bank of all banks basically, came in and rescued the system. Well, all of that got washed aside as soon as the CV-19er came on board and everyone stopped talking about the financial situation and moved into the pandemic. So I think that's part of it. It's a cover for the financial breakdown and it gives them a great deal of them, they, the elitists, the bankers, a great deal of leeway to blame everything on the CV situation. Oh, well, failure of the economy isn't because we – the bankers created something that would never work from the beginning and knew it. No, 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 no. It's all to do with the virus. And yet, if you analyze the virus as Mel just did, it's such a minuscule proportion of what's really going on. And yet they, they the elitists <clears throat> and the mainstream press, to keep the cognitive map flowing so everyone thinks or is brainwashed into thinking that this thing is really a bigger problem than it truly is and you've got to have a mask and you can only do this. And they've ruined the economy, which was going to be ruined of itself, but now they've accelerated it. And, of course, again, I'll repeat, but it's worth repeating and bearing in mind that this is the excuse that they needed to see the economy unravel as it was sure to do anyway. So when it comes to... All of this. So you really think that this has been brewing for a while. And what a great scapegoat. You have a few scapegoats. You have CV-19 as a scapegoat. Instead, you know, instead of discussing how this was going to end up the way it was. Also blame Trump. And what a great way to just have a scapegoat, a scapegoat there. Uh, but how, how much more can the Federal Reserve, and you probably heard my interview with Michael Tellinger and other people discussing, and again, I'm, I'm, an obs I'm an observer when it comes to this piece of news that I'm about to share that a lot of our listeners have heard in the past few months, I would say, that the Federal Reserve has merged into the U.S. Treasury, and I believe is I forgot the name of it, is it Blackstone, uh, the one that supposedly is behind uh, managing it right now. What, what, what's your take on this alleged merger? It's very difficult. I, you know, I lucked. I want to get BlackRock, BlackRock, not Blackstone. Yeah, okay. Sorry, you got it right. The um, so there's several vectors to take on this. One is uh, subtleties that we can look at. You know, clues. And one of the clues that we can look for is what Trump did in the Oval Office. He put up a picture, a painting of Andrew Jackson. Now, for those that don't know, Andrew Jackson was the last president of the United States that basically kicked the bankers out and went on a system, paid off the national debt and went on a system without the banking elite controlling the political class. Well, that's interesting that Trump will put a picture of him in the Oval Office. Now, coming to your question, Mel, well, what does the merger between the Treasury and the Federal Reserve mean? And I'll get there. I just want to give some background. 
Initially, the idea of the Constitution was to coin money. Money and currency are really two different things. Currencies, what we have in our pocket, which is just a piece of paper with not, no backing whatsoever. It can be printed to infinity. And, of course, printing to infinity these days just means a keystroke for the bank, the, the central bank, the Federal Reserve. Now, most people know that the Federal Reserve is a private corporation that's mostly European and it controls the bank of the United States and really primarily the world. There are banks that are above the Federal Reserve, but we can talk about that later. So the Federal Reserve basically has control of the entire political system because almost everybody in the political class can be bought. Now, I'm not sure that Trump can be. And I do think that Trump, and he's an enigma to me, but I do look at what, what they do, not what they say. So he's got a picture of uh, Andrew Jackson. He has put the Treasury and the Fed together. Now, the Fed came in in 1913 and usurped the Treasury. The Treasury is supposed to be responsible for creating money. That's what the Constitution says. And this is what John F. Kennedy did. I'm digressing to make the point. John F. Kennedy was going to oust the Fed and put us back on the Treasury where the Treasury made the money for of the people, for the people, and by the people. And in fact, if you look it up, and I have some in my desk here, they're called Treasury notes. It doesn't say Federal Reserve note at the top. It says United States note. That means the Treasury printed that and that we, the people, were really the reason for that creation. Well, that, I think, was the final straw, and I think that was the, the end of the line as far as the elites were concerned, and, of course, he was murdered. But back on point, this is a possibility that we could get back to a system where the Treasury actually takes over the monetary system away from the Fed. And the way it is being done, potentially, I don't know if this is a fact or not, but potentially, it's a great finesse job by Trump. Because rather than just say, you're out and we're in, he put them together. So now it's kind of a blurry mess. No one really knows how it's going to go. My conjecture, this is speculation on my part, I don't know, is for Trump to bankrupt the Fed. Uh, how do you ruin a monetary system? Well, they all ruin. Any fiat system ends up dying because at some point the people don't trust the money. And that's what's happening, where the, you know, three, four trillion dollars that we've added to the economy of late in the last few months is waking up a lot of people. Even a six-year-old knows that there's a lot of something that's less valuable. So I think Trump is going to use fiscal stimulus, which means not just printing money and giving it to the bankers. Fiscal stimulus means taking that money and building roads, repairing bridges, uh, building public works projects such as uh, parks and recreation, like the National Park System is a fiscal project that was performed in the 30s. So I think to fix things, maybe put us on a high-speed rail system. I don't know. This is, again, conjecture. I haven't read this. There's some out there that are also speculating. And just keep using that credit card of the Federal Reserve until – the, the money's really not trusted anymore. But in the meantime, what did you get for that? What I call funny money is you've rebuilt the infrastructure. You have modernized the system. You've brought things back into repair that needed to be repaired and that type of thing. And then at some point, the Treasury takes over and says, you know, Fed, you're done. We're going back to 
the treasury to create money. It's going to be United States notes or some digital equivalent of that. And away we go. Now, that's a very optimistic view, Mel, but I don't regard it as impossible. And the way Trump kind of does this 3 or 4D chess, there's a lot behind the man that uh, most miss at the superficial level. What you see on the social media, I pay very little attention to because you need to really look two or three levels deeper to see what's really going on. And again, it's what you know what's being done, not what's being said. It's very important. I always take a look at the the U.S. debt clock, and right now it's twenty six point six trillion dollars debt per citizen. A child that is born in the United States right now owes eight. $80,620 at debt per citizen. Debt per taxpayer, $214,000. If this, if this uh, total, 26.6, continues to grow, and it will, it's unpayable. What is that keeps this in the eyes of the world as a valid foreign reserve currency? Is it our planes and bombs at our military industrial complex, David? Well, it's certainly partly that. I mean, to me, it's two things. It's the cognitive map. It's the belief. Because if you stop somebody on the street and do random, you know, accounting of people's ideas about money, some would tell you that the dollar's gold backed. They don't have any idea that it's not. Others will don't have any ideas, don't care. All they care about is, you know, at the end of the week, they get a paycheck. So part of it's ignorance. And the other part that those that aren't ignorant, like certain, um, you know, politicians that have actually been elected and moved into office, uh, have been ousted. If you look at uh, John Perkins' work about um, what he's done about confessions of, I forget the title, you can help me, Mel. But about economic, economic hitmen. Hitman. They go in and basically uh, anyone that doesn't go along with the master plan is taken out. And this is the truth. I mean, it's a harsh reality when you find out, one, that money is power and that these power monger, greedy SOB control freaks will stop at nothing. Murder is not a big event for them to continue to stay in power, which means not only the money, because how much money can you really get? At some point, it's all about control. It's about control of the resources and the control of the people. And control of basically everything. And it's moving that direction more and more. So it is by force. I mean, I am a student of Harry Brown, long deceased. I had the great honor of getting to know him personally before he died. And he was, I wouldn't put myself in his shoes, but I've taken up that kind of mantle uh, this time around, meaning this next phase of the financial collapse. And Harry's, one of his first statements that every lecture he ever gave was this, government is force. And I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, gosh, because I've been brainwashed. I mean, I woke up early, but still, you know, you're in the public schooling system and you are schooled and you, you know, are taught to believe, you're not taught to think. And I thought, well, that made me think government is force. All governments are force. Doesn't matter if it's democracy or if it's a, uh, fascism. It's still force. And so, Mel, you're right. I just want to emphasize the point that because people are forced to use the dollar, U.S. dollar as a reserve currency of the world, and if you don't, 
um, some, you know, some benevolent dictator is, uh, comes to power in XYZ fictional country. And all he is, is a big hearted individual and he's going to just do right by the people. As soon as that starts happening, if it doesn't go with the master plan, the economic hitman comes in and takes them out. I mean, this is exactly what's been going on for a very, very long time, but very few people are really that awake that know that's the, the way this whole system unfortunately is controlled. Back to the U.S. debt clock for a moment. I'm looking at the U.S. federal debt to GDP ratio. In 1960, it was 52.59%. 1980, 34.63%. That seems to be manageable. Then came 2000, 56.89. And now, for the first time in history, 136.54%. So when you see this and you, th- you see the petrodollar, as the last, I believe that's the last lifesaver that we have. Without the petrodollar, we're done. And you remember years ago when brick, bricks came along, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and then I believe it was uh, South Africa that came along. That all disappeared. What, what happened to that basket of currencies that threatened the hegemony of the United States? Again, this is speculation, but again, well thought out. So what happened uh, October, I think two years ago, maybe three, time really zooms at my age, the IMF allowed China into the International Monetary Fund. Now, the IMF is above the Federal Reserve. It's the banker's bank, and it's another fictional monetary system, but has a great deal of control. And the IMF has what they call the SDR, special drawing rights. This is a combination of different currencies and the chinese were exempted from that for a long time and as i said october a few years ago they were allowed in i think the yuan makes up i think it was 8.8 percent you can look it up i'm not too concerned about the number it was a small amount relative to the position the u.s dollar holds which i think is around a 40 percent level and so Because of that, Mel, I think that the uh, Chinese, which were pretty much the leaders of the BRICS, kind of backed off. It still exists, but it's not as resistant to the what I call the Anglo-American empire, the London money masters that have got New York under their wings as uh, it was earlier. I think the BRICS really were making a chess move away from the Anglo-American empire but now, since they were been brought into the IMF, I think they are still resistive. I think they're still working towards some independence, and there could be a currency collapse that one uh, nation state, you know, moves into gold, let's say, uh, and goes by a gold back currency, and that would, of course, really upset the apple cart. I think from what the internationalists want. But there's a lot of vectors here, and there's a lot of things to discuss further. But I think that's the main reason that they backed out. But you see, when we discuss the Federal Reserve or central banking in general, most people have no idea these are private institutions controlling our money supply and pretty much ruling over us. But there are other entities like the, for example, the Centers for Disease Control, which are also private institutions. People think, oh, Dr. Fauci's there and uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, what's the other doctor? Mm-hmm. Redfield, oh, these are people that just had the best interest for the United States, just like the Consumer Protection Agency or the, you know, uh, Federal Drug Administration, but in particular, the CDC. They are financed. They survive 
on the contributions of a few. I mean, what is it? 25% of all its revenue comes from Bill Gates Foundation. And then you have all these big pharma that are supporting all the time and they own, I forgot how many vaccine patents. So if they COVID-19 vaccine is to come about, they're going to make billions. Don't you think that we, like JFK talked about the CIA, just, uh, you know, break it into a million pieces in the wind. Shouldn't we do the same thing with such entities that really do not have the best interest of the quote unquote consumer or the individual? Absolutely. I mean, if you read the Federalist Papers or understand the founding fathers, and yeah, they made a mistake with the way they founded with, you know, the white thing. And I don't want to get into that at all, but I want to go to the main principles where all men are created equal. Let's say they meant all, meaning all races and creeds and everything and women and all that. So let's just start with the idea rather than the actuality. But the premise was to have limited government, and the only reason the government was created is because in a natural law, man, whatever your color, creed, whatever, has all the God-given, or if you don't believe in God, natural rights. You are naturally free. You're naturally free to associate. You're naturally free to speak your mind. You're naturally free to make your own way. And all these rights were protected by a limited government. Well, as we all know, that was an ideal that didn't last very long and we've gotten into these entities that uh, were created and I'm not just talking government entities as Mel you accurately pointed out the CDC is a private entity and this comes about with the legal terms about these public private partnership that's just BS in my view I mean they exist the BS part of it is it's a, it's a sales job on the public because most people, again, as you state, think that this is some, you know, government entity that's there to protect the people. That's a big sales job. It's a, again, it's a mind wash. It's you've been th- taught to believe that these things are there for your benefit when they're there for a money making opportunity. Think of if seven billion people are vaccinated by Mr. Gates's concoction. What that would mean to the amount of money that he contributed to the CDC versus how much money he put into the Gates Foundation by vaccinating everyone. I mean, it's ridiculous when you look at the greed that these people have. It's it's avarice beyond belief. And yet this is our supposed uh, people at the top that's supposed to know more than we do. I mean, one of the greatest disservices, and this is one of my hot-button pet peeves, is the education system, I forgot to mention that and what's been corrupted, and that's probably one of the most important ones that's been corrupted, is we're not taught what we should be taught, which is how to think on our own, question everything, question authority, and question our own premises. And that's the way to really have a society that can function at a maximum human ability. So back on point, Mel, I'll hand it back to you. I mean, this is one thing that really, really bothers me. I'll, I'll add one thing. When I started my career, which was when I was in my 20s, and I worked in the aircraft industry, I was always just passionate about the monetary system and what was wrong with it. I, my life's work was basically to try to bring sound money to the population, and not just the United States, everyone. Anyway, I put out a paper on my own and mailed it randomly to my neighborhood, meaning, you know, San Jose, California, just, you know, so... I only sent out something like a few hundred, four or five hundred. And it basically explained a few key points. And one was that the Federal Reserve was a 
private corporation. It wasn't federal and they had no reserves. Well, what happened was I got a letter from the post office, uh, postmaster general for mail fraud. And there was nothing fraudulent in what I was doing, but this is how you could be intimidated even when you're like an 18, 19 year old kid uh, trying to do good. It cost me money. I just wanted to wake some people up. So now with the internet, I don't have much problem saying the Federal Reserve is a private corporation because anyone can, you know, use Google or Bing or something and look it up and determine. But, but hold on, what what happened? What, what did the, the oh, it was just a threat. Uh, post yeah, manager said. for pursuing it. I, it was it was. I basically ignored it. Nothing happened. They never came to the house or anything else. Basically, a cease and desist. You bad boy, you. You know, kind of a letter. And I said, okay, fine. It cost you money to try to help. But you told the truth. I know. This is what's bothered me from my birth almost, Mel. I mean, I'm a passionate man. You know me. You've had me on before. And I really want to get the truth out there because the truth does set you free. It does. But it's a hard road. Speaking truth to power is not easy. I mean, I have had some instances that I really don't want to go into that have cost me dearly for speaking the truth. But I've done it nonetheless. And I... In my heart of hearts, I'm, I don't know, proud's the right word, but I'm convicted that this is the right way to live your life. I mean, there's a lot of people that just exist and never really live. Now, I can at least look at you in the eye and anyone that knows me. I've lived a life, believe me, on that, on that just statement. I totally, totally understand what you're saying. And it just brought me back to my sophomore year in, in college when I had the economics professor explaining how banks create money. And I pressed him on and pressed him on. And at the time, I didn't know about the creature of Jake Lyland. I didn't know really too much. But I tried to exp to ask him, explain how you can create money. That to me sounds like fraud. If I put $100 in the bank and you tell me that you're going to lend it to, you know, 10 times to other people, you're basically, <laughs> you're basically counterfeiting money. Then I realized, oh, I see. So... Between the Federal Reserve and banking system, they are legally allowed to to use counterfeit money out there. And this is how you create the bubbles and this is how you create hyperinflation. And at the end of the day, depressions and, 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 and recessions occur. They buy all the asses at a fraction and then the bubble comes again. And once they raise those prices again, they sell them again and the cycle repeats. And most people... Do not question that, David. Yeah, well said, Mel. Exactly right. I mean, it's, you know, what I, the way I view it is we all have our, you know, day-to-day -day humdrum lives, in some cases exciting lives, and we all go up and down in our emotions. The point I'm making is simple. Most people are too busy making a living to pay any attention to what's really going on. And I think that's deliberate. I think it's, you know, most people have a job they don't really care for, but it puts food on the table, puts a roof over their head, and they get home and they basically veg out in front of the programming box and they're reprogrammed to think that they don't have enough because they're watching some, you know, sitcom or there's some you know, Dallas or some show on there that says, look, these people have a better life than you do. You've got to consume more. When you have a society that uh, the whole U.S. system is based on 70% consumption, you've got a real problem. And now let me just do a little digression and explain it. Let's go to very basics where you have land and you grow food and maybe you live in a mud hut. If you grow your food and you live on that, Anything above and beyond what you eat in a year is savings. 
So you grow more food than you need because you never know if you're going to have a bad year, a bad crop, you're going to get some, a fire is going to hit some, something's going to get stolen. You just don't know the future. So people save. And so in this very basic uh, thought experiment, we're saving food. Well, if you grow amount of uh, twice what you need and you have a 50% savings and the next year you have a crop failure. If your system requires 70% of uh, consumption to stay just, you know, for basic uh, economic functioning at the, at the base level, uh, so you say 50% and you need 70%, you, you're bankrupt, you're done. And this is the idea I want to get across. And I just use that example. I'm not saying it's the exact case. I want the idea to percolate in your mind and think about it, that we have killed the consumer right now with the CV-19. Think of all the restaurants that are out of business, all the small businesses that will never come back, all the unemployment, all the mislow allocation of people that has taken place. And now they are going to the next level, which in my view is this UBI, this universal basic income. It's okay. Daddy will take care of you. All you have to do is be politically correct and cash your check that we give you. Now, I know they're stopping that very soon. I understand that, but I'm looking at a bigger, longer picture of what they want. They, meaning the bankers, the elites, the money controllers, the money masters, what do they want? And they want control. And the best way to control a dog or a a pet or an animal or a human is to do the Pavlov's experiment, get them to move and do exactly what conditioned. you want with the ringing of a bell. Yeah, to be conditioned. That's what it is. And this is the problem with entitlement. And this is the problem with people who, once they get into government dole, they don't want to get out. Because, you know, once you just realize you don't have to work for it, and I have that conversation with, uh, I forgot, the the congressman, the, uh, Jim Trafficant. Oh, Jim right, Trafficant right. years ago before he died. And uh, even though he was a Democrat, he told me he fought, fought tooth and nail to stop this I- I- incredible way in which we're just letting so many people get in the government dole. And he said, I don't want that. You you want to get a paycheck? We're going we're gonna to bring you down to do babysitting or cleaning the streets, but you're no longer going to stay at home doing nothing. And, you know, for that and for many other reasons, he was chastised by, by, by Medi. I mean, most people think that if you are truly disabled, I get it. A society like the United States can just, you know, get together and help you. Once you get back on track, once you get back to health, then you need to go back and just be self-sufficient because we can no longer support you for the rest of your life. If you're, if you're an elderly, elderly person, I get it. But the rest of the population, they need to be able to work for a living. Yeah, I want to comment on that. Uh, two things. One, I lecture primarily in the investment conferences and particularly the resource conferences and what we also call gold shows. But every now and again, I get to a mainstream uh, forum. And once in a while, I get into kind of a mixed forum that has to do with like a lot. It would be like the Veritas. It would be a combination of all kinds of things. So one of these, it was basically about freedom. Freedom Fest is the conference. And so I put up a slide, and it's easy to do verbally. And I showed the king of all beasts, the lion. And it shows a male lion looking over the savannah. And this thing just, to me, resonates 
power, performance, and it almost looks blissful. But yet, when you analyze where that lion's at, it's in its natural habitat, but it has no idea about that day or its next day. It doesn't know if it's going to eat or not eat. It doesn't know if it's probably knows where the water is, but I mean, there's a lot of unknowns, but it, it was just mad majestic with seeing it in its natural habitat, doing its lion thing, if I can be rather crude. And then the next picture is a situation where everything is provided. It's water, it's food, it's healthcare, and even a mate. And it's a picture of a lion in a zoo. And this lion is mangy. It hasn't taken care of itself. And the most important to me, the way I saw it, was the eyes of the natural lion versus this captive lion that was given everything. Its eyes in the zoo were so sad. It really wasn't a lion. It was a provided for captive. And that to me was the old adage of pictures worth a thousand words, Mel, because it showed without having to say a word that when you're given everything, you really have nothing. And when you have nothing and you have to survive, you have everything. I hope that contradiction I just stated makes sense to everyone. It makes a lot of sense. And when you were saying that, I was thinking of what should be the goal of a human being to be sovereign, to be independent. There's this undercurrent right now that we need to think like a hive. We need to follow what Fauci says and what the television tells us and think, you know, the group think. Instead of just saying, let's become independent, let's become sovereign, let's invest in, and we'll discuss this in a moment, in precious metals so that we can be fully sovereign and independent from the banking clause so that we can, you know, the more you own, the more you own, the more those things own you. Imagine yourself sitting on a beach right now and just being fully independent uh, without having to depend on the government, without having to depend on corporations, and knowing that whatever whatever you have, you've been able to work for, and it's provided by you right there. That is, to me, the biggest threat to the establishment, David. Absolutely. I mean, if you go back and study Jefferson, and I have at a uh, not a real deep level, but he basically said to be really free, you needed to be agrarian, which is just a fancy word for saying you really had to be self-sufficient. You had to have land. You had to grow your own food. You had to be capable of building your own shelter, which doesn't mean you have to do it all. I mean, you can have a community of like-minded people that help each other like the Amish do, the Mennonites do. and But basically, you had to be able to do it all one way or another, trading with others, working with others. But independent, as you said, and most people don't have any idea what independent means. And I want to go one step further and take it to the more philosophical level and back to kind of how the country's ideals were started. And the idea of the individual was important because the law was set up not on groupthink or democracy, which is basically mob rule and the, the majority rules. That's really not how it was founded. It was founded as a republic where the individual as long as they were within natural law was correct. So the whole town could vote against you. But if you were morally correct in the natural and within the bounds of the natural law, you're protected by that law as an individual. And individuals that are able to become themselves, I mean, what some of us more motivated, you might say, people are when we look, you know, a show like yours, Mel, and others that are looking to become the best that we can be in the human experience and go beyond 
what uh, we're taught in school. Those type of people that fully blossom or others that don't, regardless, the point is to be yourself. The old adage to thine own self be true is no longer taught. And yet it's one of the great sage statements of all time. But most people don't have any idea who they are. All they do is identify with a TV show, a sports figure, uh, some type of entertainer, some celebrity, or maybe even an intellectual or something, and they have lived vicariously through these other images that they have, and they're taught that way. I mean, look at what society does to women in our society. This is my personal belief. You can pick it apart. But, you know, you have to be slim. You have to be this. It's all about how you look, not what you are. I mean, we really have distorted the reality of how we have been put on this planet and what we've been put here to do to such a degree if you really understand it, at least I'm speaking for myself, it almost gets you your stomach in knots. It's just so unbelievable how far twisted, turned, and corrupted we have become and let ourselves. If you were true to yourself, as you said in that beach example, and said, I am and I can, it would be a lot different society. And it used to be taught, actually, way back in the like 1800s when the country was founded. It was like a schoolroom. I mean, there's. I'm going to digress a little bit more. I mean, there was a, a test from, I forget the year, it was in 18-somethings, that was for like an eighth grade. And most master's students can't pass that exam now. That's how far down. Not even PhD. Yeah, not even PhD today. Yeah. So back to you, Bill. Yeah, I, I, I read uh, this meme yesterday. I'm curious as to when the media is going to tell people not to eat McDonald's. You can fill in the blanks with any fast food out there. Smoke cigarettes, consume alcohol, or touch little kids, or we just, are we sticking to wearing masks to save lives? So this is the kind of double speak that we hear all the time. I mean, we hear all these programs that are being canceled, Ellen DeGeneres, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, and the rest of them. But uh, nobody talks about them. Nobody's questioned, like, what, what, what is it? Uh, was it just Ellen DeGeneres was mean to the employees, her, her staff, uh, Oprah Winfrey? It, you know, why is it that more people are not focused on what's really taking place? Yeah, well, it's because you're taught to believe and not to think. So you believe what the mainstream media tells you, and, and that's good enough for most people. And then they think that they've thought it through. When, as I said earlier, I mean, you should question everything. And you, of probably all the people I know, uh, are one of the few that are doing that, questioning. And what is the, what's the truth of the matter? Well, the truth is a lot's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, I'm hopeful that uh, we get some justice in this system. I mean, the late Dr. Martin Luther King said that the uh, arc of justice is long indeed, but it tends to bend toward justice. Uh, and I think that's true, uh, or I forget the exact quote, but the idea is that it's a slow and long process, but it tends to bend toward the truth. And the truth is that we are really, really messed up and it's gone way too far. The pendulum has swung way too far and it may be coming back. It's just a lot of people aren't aware enough to see it coming back. Before we start talking about precious metals and your focus on silver, a lot of people think, oh, but gold is king. You know, let me go back for a second to what was it, 1999 or 2000, when Bill Clinton repealed the Glass-Steagall Act. Can we, can we begin the conversation there? Because that, 
that changed things. And I think the economy has exploded in a way that we haven't seen before in a bad way because of what happened with that repealment of uh, the Glass-Steagall Act. Very insightful, and thanks for bringing it up. I wouldn't have thought of it on my own, but it's a very, very key point. Uh, again, I was at the Money Show, and the Money Show is a um, basic, uh, just what it says. I mean, it's all investment. So when I'm invited to the Money Show, I usually speak on precious metals, but everything's there, you know, mutual funds, any major stock company, trading platform. So it's basically any investor, any normal investor will be attracted to the money show. And then they take a few of us and they do interviews. And uh, Karen Gibbs at the time, she used to work with Lou Dobbs, if I remember correctly. Uh, she hasn't been on TV in ages, but she asked me what was one of the key factors to put us in the mess that I was lecturing on. And I said to repeal the Glass-Steagall Act. The Glass-Steagall Act was put in under Franklin Roosevelt in the 30s to separate the banking system into basically two uh and two ways of doing banking one way to prevent another depression yeah, correct and one way was what, what we call commercial banking commercial banking is the bank you think you have on the corner it's the bank that some of you may even know your banker and this was to build communities it was able to loan for for housing for farming, and for real physical economic benefit. So some, even here in Washington where I'm at, there's a few that are called like Mercantile Bank or uh, Farmer's Bank or that type of thing. And that's what they're meant for. So that's one type of banking. The other type of banking is what we call speculative banking or investment banking. And those are your Wall Street banks. Now, these banks aren't evil all by themselves, but what they are supposed to be are banks where you can make bets. And the bet in the early days when the American system, I'll call it, worked as it was supposed to, people could pool their money because Mel had a great idea of how to double wheat production. But it wasn't proven yet. But investors got together and they were at high risk to see if this idea would actually work or not. And that was separate from commercial banking. So anything that was high risk was separate, and the two banks could not intermingle. So if you just wanted to live a normal life, not have any risk, save your money, and you could save money in those days, it'll be worth something at the end of your 30 or 40 years of work, that was the commercial banks. And if you wanted to speculate, you could get an investment bank. And you were allowed to do both. I mean, you could be an American and have, you know, 90% of your money in a commercial bank and, you know, you might speculate with some. Well, the Glass-Steagall Act said all banks are free to speculate. And once that happened, the system really started to deteriorate because a lot of this activity on Wall Street is out and out 100% complete fraud. It's nothing more than that. I won't mix my words. I won't be nice. I won't sugarcoat it. It's fraud. And they don't care about you. It's like the political class. They pretend they care about you, but they don't care about you. They care about themselves and themselves only. And that's unfortunate because that's one of the main things lacking in a true human experience because I've learned really in a way the hard way. I haven't been that selfish in my life, although much more than I am now. 
But getting to the top of the mountain by yourself is a very, very lonely place to be. But helping bring people to the top of the mountain, pushing them up the mountain, pulling them up the mountain, talking them up the mountain. Now that I'm about ready to get emotional, well, but that is a life worth living. Can't agree with you more there. And I'm thinking of the derivatives, which is what the end result, correct me if I'm wrong, after the repeal of the Glass-Steel Act in uh, 1999, as of right now, and I keep going back to the U.S. debt clock, 690, what is it, 690 and a half trillion dollars. I mean, this is money that you can't even imagine how much that would be. 690.5 trillion dollars in derivatives, which is how can you put a stop to this? The system will have to implode. In the old days, again, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but after a number of years, there was something called the debt reset. And I remember, you know, when I was growing up, my dad used to store his tax returns every seven years and all the, the, the seven years. Remember yes. that? And debt used to be uh, reset every so many years. What happened? Well, we lost sight of the truth. I mean, you you cannot have an interest-bearing system that works for very long. And I'll just give a quick example. If God gave Jesus one penny on his birth, and that one penny compounded at 2.5% annually, from the time Jesus was born until 2020, that amount would be bigger than the derivatives number you just read. So that shows the magic of compound interest, but it also shows it can't work for very long. And that's why a debt jubilee, every 50 years, you can reset and start over. because you Jubilee, can, that's the word I wanted to use. Yeah, jubilee. Yeah. So you can do it if and only if you understand the limits to the system. But the idea of compounding money, which... I'm actually against, I mean, I really have studied this for so long. I mean, if you ask me my 30s or 40s, I was for it. Now, looking at usury and the moral implications, I'm not. But that's an argument I don't want to get into. People who think about it, please do think about it on your own. But the point is, it doesn't work forever. If you, But the problem is, like the Rothschilds, for example, I mean, when they had their banks in the 1600s, think of what the compounding of their quote-unquote money has done over the years. I mean, you know, the Force 500 or 400 just makes me laugh. I mean, I'm not saying that Bill Gates is the multi-billionaire. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is those are the worker bees for the bankers that are trillionaires, but they never get into Forbes 400. No, 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 no. That's not how the system works. The elite own the press. They own the magazines. They own the television stations. They own most radio stations. Yeah, there's a few independents out there, but the vast majority of the news that you are programmed with is owned and you're taught to think what they want you to believe. And this whole system, I just, again, kind of knots up my stomach when I think that, you know, early in my life as an eighth grader, you know, I really believed that we were free. But even back then, we were learning the Constitution. I had all these questions, especially about the monetary system. It just didn't seem like it was 
correct that you can make something from nothing. It's like, wait a minute. And, you know, that's what I learned. It could snow indoors. You know, it's the expression that we're familiar with in America anyway about a snow job. The teacher really didn't know. So she snowed me, you know, that blah, 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 and then let's move on kind of thing. It's like, well, I still have questions about that. So back to you, Mel. It's just a very interesting place we find ourselves in in history. Everyone who listens to this program knows I'm a fervent anti-communist. But just because I'm a free market capitalist doesn't mean I'm not aware of capitalism's flaws. Both systems, have, they want to accomplish something that is fundamentally impossible, and that is to grow forever. They're both going to fail. One fail first. The question is, David, how do we keep a sustainable capitalist, conscious capitalist system alive and not just a pyramid scheme? Yeah, well... That's a mouthful. We need to go back to true capitalism. I mean, the whole basic idea of capitalism is the right to succeed, equal opportunity for everyone, all those ideals, is also the right to fail. And this is something we really missed in the, along the line, but especially, I think the turning point was the 2008 financial crisis. If real capitalism had reigned at that time, which it didn't, all a few of the banks went under, but really all the banks that were uh, undercapitalized should have gone under. In other words, if capitalism truly worked, everyone that was underfunded should be out of business. It's just that simple. There'd be no such thing as too big to fail. If you failed, you failed. If you're an Olympic athlete and you fail, or you're just a schoolboy playing in a sandlot and you fail, it's failure. And that's how the system is supposed to work. Of course, it doesn't. We don't have true capitalism. We have crony capitalism. But conscious capitalism is a step beyond that, in my view, and we could talk about it more. But it's where it's not based on greed. This idea that the Japanese have that the CEO can only make like eight or ten times what the you know person pushing a broom is I hate regulation. I really like volunteerism where you voluntarily accept a job. You voluntarily accept a rate of pay and this type of thing. But And I don't like to mandate, someone says, but if you're conscious, you'd say, you know, I'm paying my workers a fair thing, you know, and they, they love coming to work, whatever it is. And I am going to make, since I found the business and I did most of the work and it was my idea, blah, 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 you know, 10 times what, you know, the janitor makes whatever that to me makes more sense but that would be self-imposed that would be voluntarily taking and some of these people are benevolent i'm not trying to say everybody at the corporate top is a jerk because there are some conscious beings that run some pretty big corporations i know i've, I've at least that's my belief but but they're few and far between but there are some that see you know i got enough and they do actually give back and the ones that give back don't make a big deal about it and a lot of them do it anonymously those types but, geez, Mel, I don't have a good answer for you. We've gotten so far away from what it could have been, and it's been so distorted that they're going to make a big deal about capitalism failing. Well, if capitalism failed a long time ago because we didn't practice it. It's interesting how when events like 9-11 occur or, you know, what we saw in 2008 when we saw Hank Paulson go to Congress, basically put a gun to their heads to have them bail out. And, and I'm thinking, you know, 2008 again. Instead of letting the quote-unquote too-big-to-fail banks, they literally took us hostage and we bailed them out, rewarding them with bonuses after they failed. That is, if that is not socialism, David, I don't know what is, but what was that? And then 
when I say we were taking hostage, I really mean it. 80% of the population was against the bailouts, but Congress still approved the bailouts since they're owned by the banking lobbyists. Was that a crossing the Rubicon moment? I believe so. I think that was the opportunity to, let's say, reinstate, reinstill true capitalism, and we blew it. And it wasn't the people that blew it. I mean, if the, the Constitution holds, uh, you know, the people for the people and by the people, and when they're supposed to be represented by these Congress critters and these senators, then that 80% would have come and said, you guys are out. You failed, you failed. But no, 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 as you said, and I'll just reinforce it, they're owned by the bankers for the most part. I mean, very few aren't. And so they vote the way the bankers want them to vote, and they're too big to fail, too big to jail, corruption reigns, and it only emboldened them. Not only did they give themselves these massive bonuses, which they should be on the street trying to make an average living like us, no, no, they're rewarded for the failure, and it emboldened them to make it even worse this time around. So this time around, I think it is going to fail, even though they may have other ideas. But I think they're smart enough to have, you know, plan A and B uh, already in the wings with probably a digitized cryptocurrency situation where they're going to move everybody off of their current system onto their new system. They'll do a great sales job with their owned media outlets and they'll convince you know a great deal of the population that this is for their own good when it's really for the bankers good let's take this to the next level when we come back how can people learn more about your work uh, your services david your books and uh, again solutions coming up in part two i really want to discuss because these are uncharted territories and you have a lot of information that you have accumulated for the past few decades, and we can apply that when we come back. But tell people how to learn more about your work, David. The easiest thing is go to the main landing page at themorganreport.com, get on a free newsletter. I write a free report for everybody. And then, of course, uh, if you want to explore more, there's uh, the main site has the books, the private uh financial newsletter I write, consultations, uh, speaking appointments, and anything else I do. So you can just go to the main website and pretty much vector off from there anywhere. And obviously you still believe that silver is the way to go even more than gold. Are you still saying I that? I absolutely do. Well, I'm very curious to just, because we discussed that many years ago, but I want to discuss it with today's scenarios. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm El Hostelrick. My special guest today is David Morgan. Much more in the members section. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.